Peter writes these things as an encouragement to us. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, and in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of God. Amen, amen. Let's pray together. It's a great song. It points us to Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of your grace. Thank you that we can come together and, and, and worship you and lift our, our voices together in song and praise to your name. Thank you for these songs that point us towards you, uh, to reflect upon your great grace. And now as we come to your word again, we ask for the enabling of your spirit. Help us as we look to your word, and we want to see Jesus today in a fresh way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is, uh, it is good to be uh, with you today, good to be worshiping together. And uh, as many of you will know, it's been a bit of a, a rough couple of weeks for myself. And uh, it's good to be uh, back here this morning. And hopefully my voice will, uh, will hold out. And if not, you'll get to go home early. So um, either way, we should be, we should be, uh, we should be fine. Appreciate your prayers and, and uh, concern. Next, uh, next Saturday uh, is a special event called the coldest night of the year. And uh, here we go. Coldest night of the year. Um, for the last number of years, actually, back in St. John's, Newfoundland, I had been a part of this same event in support of a, a different organization. But it's a, very, it's a very cool event, and when you register, you'll get one of these hats. 
Uh, and so uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful event for, for a, a church of all ages to, to get involved with. And so if you haven't yet signed up for this event, I'd encourage you to do that. Go to the website. The information's in your bulletin. This is a great event for families. And so we'll, we'll be there uh, taking part in this. And I just encourage uh, all of us. It's, it's a wonderful event for a church to be able to come together all ages and, and help support. It's in partnership with our friends next door, the Booth Center, as we seek to again support their ministry and shine a light on the issue of homelessness. And it's next Saturday, uh, I think registration's at four, and it's, it's just a, a short walk and uh, come back here for some refreshments. And so if you haven't yet joined our team I'd encourage you to do so. Go and check it out on the website. And we'd love to see uh, many of you here next Saturday for this event, the coldest night in the year. And now I'm warm, so I'll take that off. So I hope to see you uh, next next Saturday. Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard said that life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. So think about that for a moment. Think about the intersection of remembering and moving forward. And, and think about what, in what ways remembering can help or, or hinder us moving forward. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, cars today come with a lot of safety features. And uh, they come with all kinds of gadgets and gizmos and beeps and sounds and flashing lights. And, and there, you know, if you're going to drift it into another lane, you'll get a warning. And there's all kinds of things that kind of want to help you move safely forward uh, along, along the road. And, and I would say that the gift of remembrance is really a powerful gift in each of our lives. And that remembering is, is a gift from God. And that memory serves as a powerful motivator for us in helping us to move forward. And being a people of God has always meant being a remembering people. And the call to remember is really woven throughout the scriptures. Think of Moses, uh, for example, with his death in view, pleading with the people in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, saying, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and to your children's children. And so life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. I I think it would be helpful to think of the past in terms of of a slingshot. You know, we, we pull back, we reach back into our past to gain necessary insight and meaning, but we can't stay there. The past serves uh, to, to motivate us to live forward, to, to propel us into the future. And I think we see this, this outlook and tension in our scripture reading today. So let's, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin reading at verse number 12. 
and we'll read into the first verse of chapter 4. Philippians chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse number 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand Firm in the Lord, my beloved. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're reading this early Christian letter written by one of the most significant figures in the history of Christianity, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to a church he started in the ancient city of Philippi, and in this part of the letter, we might say that he's encouraging his readers to live forward. He's encouraging this church to, to live forward, to, to press ahead. Notice the language here. If you look, keep your Bible open there. Verse 12, he, he says, I, I press on. Verse 13, he talks about straining forward. Verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal. And then he calls the church to have this same forward living mindset. He says in verse 15, he says, look, think this way. Have, have this same mindset. So if we go back to verse 12, uh, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so the first question that I think we need to acknowledge is, well, what is the this in verse 12? I press on, not that I've already obtained this. So what is, what is the this? What, what is 
Paul trying to take hold of? To what end is Paul pressing forward? And, and if we go back to verses 8 and, and, and 10, uh, I, I think Paul kind of answers that. He says in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In verse 10, he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So I think in short, Paul is striving towards a fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity says that our deepest problem is that we are alienated from the God who created us. And at the heart of Christianity is the announcement of what God has done to reconcile us to himself. And what has God done to, to reconcile us? Well, we can read John chapter 3 where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Read that scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the, the message of reconciliation. And so God's plan to reconcile lost people to himself is, is rooted in the sacrificial life and death of Jesus. And, and this announcement of what God has done to save us, to, to reconcile us to, to himself, it demands a response. It's a response of faith. And as we respond in faith, as we place our, our complete uh, trust and confidence in the sacrificial life and death of Jesus, we, we're saved, we're reconciled. We are forgiven of our sin and raised to new life, to this new creation lifestyle. And for Paul, a mark of God's salvation in us is coming to see the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Or as he says, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so in salvation, we might say that we are, we are awakened to behold the beauty of the gospel. That our hearts are stirred by the realities of Jesus' sacrificial life and death. And we stand amazed at God's great gift of salvation. Our, our heart is warmed. Our, we have a new affection for Jesus. As, as Paul says in salvation, we begin to experience Christ to be so valuable that all other things become less important. And so that, that's our prayer as believers, that, that God would, would overwhelm us by his love, that, that we would be astonished by his kindness, 
That we would have this insatiable hunger for God to explore new dimensions of his love. And so God's work of salvation in us creates uh, a new desire to know Jesus more and more. And this is the language of intimacy and the language of devotion. To know Christ personally and relationally. But as we read the text... Uh, we understand that knowing Jesus is not static. There, there, there seems to be this, this paradox of finding Christ but still pursuing, still pursuing him. And so Paul is, is striving towards a fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and in verse 12, Paul seems to connect a passionate pursuit of Christ with, with knowing Christ with, with perfection. Look at it again. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. You see, when, when God saves us, he shines in our hearts the knowledge of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But, but this light that shines in our hearts, the, the knowledge of Jesus is a light that, that continues to reveal new and deeper truths about Jesus. It's a light that continues to reveal layers of meaning until the day when Paul says we are resurrected to live in God's new world. Again, go back to verses 10 and 11 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Go down to verses 20 and 21. Again, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is reminding us that there is a yet future day when God's work of grace in our lives will be complete. And in that day, we will know Christ fully and completely. For Paul, knowing Christ fully and completely is bound up in the hope of our final resurrection. There is a future day when I will know Christ fully, will enjoy perfect fellowship. In God's new world, we will be set free from the presence and the power of sin and set free from everything that stands as a barrier to us knowing Jesus perfectly. Many of you will know the verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. We, we, have, this, we have this imperfect sight. But, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Just think for a moment about the knowledge God has of you. Think about how God knows you. God, God created you. 
God breathed life into you. The scripture says that God saw your unformed substance. Scripture says God knit you together in your mother's womb. That God knows the very number of the hairs on your head. That's a challenge for some of you more than others. I, I, I understand that. You know, so that really doesn't give me a lot of comfort that God knows me all that well. But for others of you, that will be a comfort, right? I mean, this, this is how well God knows us. The, the scripture says that before a word is on your tongue, God knows it. I mean, just, just think of the knowledge God has of you, that God knows you perfectly. You see, God's knowledge of you is not growing. It's not a growing knowledge. God's knowledge of you is not a knowledge that's becoming more and more perfect. God knows you through and through with a knowledge that is perfect and complete. And so we are saved to this yet glorious future hope, a hope of knowing Christ as he knows us fully and completely. Our current knowledge is lacking and imprecise. But our knowledge will be made complete in eternity where we will know Jesus perfectly. We'll know Jesus face to face. And so, Paul writes to the Philippians and says, I have not obtained this. I have not obtained this, this kind of perfect knowledge of the one who has saved me. But, he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm pressing on to know Christ more and more. I'm, I'm not perfect. I only know in part. I have not yet obtained the final uh, realization of perfect knowledge. But I've made a determined commitment in this life to strive to know Jesus better. To put it another way, Paul has determined to close the gap. To close the gap as much as possible between his future perfect knowledge and his current imprecise knowledge. We won't take the time to turn there, but over in Galatians chapter 5, you know, Paul is talking about the, the inner conflict that exists in him and in all of us that keeps us from doing the things that we want to do. We all, we all experience that inner conflict. And so really Paul is longing for the day when this inner conflict is resolved. And so this is Paul's determination. He says, I press on to make it my own. And so forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward. I, I press on toward the goal. And so, and so we read this and I think we realize that Christian growth is not passive. We see this, this picture of Paul as we read this. You know, we, we, we have this image of him aggressively pursuing Christ, aggressively pursuing holiness, aggressively pursuing deeper faith, a greater knowledge of Jesus, seeking to understand the, 
the dimensions of his love. And, you know, over in Ephesians chapter 3, there's that great prayer of Paul to know the, 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 the greater depth of, of the love of God. And I think Paul's words are, are reassuring to us in that he, he affirms the incompleteness of his own spiritual journey. And this is reassuring because our lives are marked by many imperfections and incomplete things. Paul explains that he's imperfect. He has not obtained or taken hold of the ultimate goal, the fullness of spiritual maturity and blessings and rewards of the age to come. And so considering the incompleteness of his spiritual journey, he talks positively about living forward. Living in a way that closes the gap between his current imprecise knowledge of Jesus with the perfect knowledge that he will enjoy in God's new world. I want you to know, friends, that Jesus is a perfect savior for imperfect people. And that Christianity, friends, is good, good news for broken, incomplete people. And so how does Paul, how does Paul pursue Jesus? Well, it seems to involve forgetting and reaching. Look at verse 13. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And so it seems that, that pursuing Jesus involves forgetting and reaching. And I, I think this is a special kind of forgetfulness. It's, it's not that, you know, Paul is saying all of a sudden he has sudden amnesia about all of his past. You know, we, 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 we can't not, you know, forget our past. It's not that we can just erase it from our, from our, from our minds. This is a special kind of, of forgetfulness. And I, I like how Peter O'Brien frames it when he says, he will not allow either the achievement of the past or for that matter his failures as a Christian to prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. And so in that regard he forgets as he runs. And so I think this, 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 for, this special kind of forgetfulness is, is about learning to rightly interpret the past in order to help us live forward. It's, it's being able to see the gift of memory and being able to interpret the things that have happened in our past so that we might be able to better live forward. And so he, he forgets failures and lives forward. What do you do when you fail? How do you respond when you fail? Well, I think the gospel teaches us that when we fail, we realize and acknowledge our failure. We thank God for his forgiveness. And we live forward. And so Paul says, I, I, I forget failures and I live forward. I, I forget past achievements and I live forward. In other words, do not allow past victory to be an excuse for living complacently today. 
Because often the constant reminiscing can lead to self-satisfaction. So Paul looks back upon his past, and earlier on in chapter 3, he talks about all of the great achievements of his past, but he, he kind of forgets that and, 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 and doesn't allow that to stagnate his, his future his future growth. So Paul says, one thing I do, I forget and live forward by pursuing a greater knowledge of Christ. And so there's a great question for us. What's, what's your one thing? What's your, what's your one thing? And, and um, what, what one change could you make in order to pursue the one thing that matters the most. What, what um, habit could you throw off in order to run better? Positively, what could you begin doing that you aren't doing right now that will help you pursue the one thing that matters most? We're going to talk more about this in, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time in a, in, a new, in a new series. But imagine, imagine the collective impact of these individual decisions. What is the one thing that, that you could make? What one change could you make in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? Now listen, all of this talk of, of striving and pressing forward and not going complacent and pursuing holiness may sound like a heavy burden to carry. You may hear this and you may read Paul here and you may be tempted to throw your hands up in despair and say, I can't measure up to this. I, I can't take this on. I, 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 I can't measure up to this standard. And what confronts this reaction to this passage, friends, is, is the grace of God. And that all of what Paul has said takes place in the context of God's amazing, transforming grace. And I would suggest, friends, that living forward means never losing the wonder of the gospel. And there are two phrases in this passage that point you and I to the wonder of the gospel of God's grace. Look at verse number 12 again. And that phrase, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then in verse 14, Paul uses the phrase of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel is good news. The, the good news of the gospel of God's grace is that Jesus has made me his own. And that my living forward is grounded in the fact that I am his. My living forward is grounded in the reality that I am his 
and nothing can separate me from God's loving grip. And here's the beauty of this image, that Paul is pursuing Jesus with all of his might. He's straining forward. Why? Because Christ was there first, pursuing him and apprehending him. And so we are his by God's grace, and it is a grace that won't let go. So here's where we find the joy in this passage, that you are his. That as you strive toward holiness, and you remember you are his. As you, as you live forward, remembering you are his. When you fail, remember you are his. In verse 14, Paul speaks of God's heavenly call, which is another way of, of pointing to God's grace and salvation, that God is calling us heavenward. You can press on because Christ made you his own and has called you heavenward. And so all growth, all Christian growth, all Christian striving, all forward progress comes from the outflow of the gospel. It comes from this place of realizing you are his. You belong to Jesus. Someone said that Christians are those who have responded in repentance and faith to the call of the gospel. God called us by grace. We heard the gospel as a free gift of grace. We are sustained by grace. And for all of eternity, we will sing the praises of the God of all grace. And so, friends, don't stop. Right on cue. Someone's, someone has a phone call. It's probably a spam call, so just, just ignore it. Don't stop. Keep pressing on. You know, th this past week may have been a tough one. It may have felt like you took a couple of steps back. What do you do? You... You trust in God's grace. You remind yourself this morning, I am his. I am his. And you move forward. This week, you might take another step back. You remind yourself, I am his. Nothing can separate me from his love. And so I'm going to strive ahead. What's that one thing I can do this week that, that'll just help put me in a position to, to treasure Jesus more and more? What? Remembering that he first, he first loved you. You are his, you belong. He has laid hold of you. He's laid hold of you for this very purpose. He's laid hold of you so that you might live forward. He's laid hold of you and more. He's calling you heavenward. I mean, you might as well enjoy the person next to you. You're going to spend a lot of time with them in, in eternity. Right? He's calling us heavenward. Have that upward call. And so we rest 
in, 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 in the good news of Jesus daily. We marvel at his gift of grace. And so we fill our affection with the glorious news that he has made you his own. I press on. I press on to close the gap of my imprecise knowledge. Why? Because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. Friends, that is liberating. That is joy-filled news. That is news that will lighten your step no matter what kind of burden you're carrying today. That's how we find real joy in living forward, real joy for real life. You know, in Christianity, there is a distinct difference between earning and effort. We don't, we don't earn God's acceptance, but we must pursue growth. You know, it's like, it's like the great Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. And so what makes the process of Christian growth joyful is the understanding that Christ's work is the first work. And all of our efforts are in response to the prior work of Christ making us his own. Well, let's, let's finish up. Our passage ends with a call to find and follow good examples. To follow faithful examples. In other words, as one person says, find people who have been captured by the gospel those who have been captured by the upward call in Christ Jesus. Find those kinds of people. Be on the lookout for people who've been captured by the gospel and learn from them. Friends, may this church be filled with those kinds of people. May this be a church filled with people who are captured by the gospel. It seems, you know, as Paul is writing this letter, he recognizes that the, the people back at Philippi need more than just truth. They need models. They need examples. They need people. They need people who are captured by this and living this out. And so there's this invitation for imitators. And one of the things that faithful examples do is they live in light of their true citizenship. Look at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by his power. D.A. Carson writes that Paul insists in the strongest terms that genuine Christianity, the kind that he wants imitated, lives in the light of Jesus' return. It is this kind of Christianity. It is the kind of Christianity that joins the church in every generation in crying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Worship team, you can, you can come on back. And so faithful examples live with the end in view. They live in light of Christ's coming. And so our values and our lives should point people to heaven. We live in such a way, living, living in this way means bearing the responsibility for bringing the life and the rule of heaven to bear 
on the earth. And then Paul, we conclude this section, Paul says, therefore, in light of this, in light of the hope, this future glory, Paul says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Friends, may we hear that word this morning. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Would you stand with me today? Let me ask you in closing. Let me ask you, friends, will, uh, will you passionately pursue Christ? Will you passionately pursue Christ? What is that thing that you're not doing that you could start doing that will help close that gap of knowledge? Will you passionately pursue Christ? And as you live forward, will you continually draw upon the fuel of grace? Never lose the wonder of God's gift of grace. We're going to be led in a great song points us again to the greatness of our Savior as we sing and remind ourselves that Jesus is worthy, that we are his. He's taken hold of us. May this song help us draw upon that fuel, that fuel of God's grace. Let's lift our voices together as we sing this great song together. Friends, may, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you today. Thank you for how in this service, Lord, we have sung songs and read scripture and heard from your word. And it's all been pointing to you, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, today that you will help us to live forward. You'll help us, Lord, to be able to rightly interpret our past and find meaning in that that helps us to, to press on, to live forward. Lord, I pray you challenge us with things, that one thing maybe that we can, we can do this week, Lord. That help us, Lord, live in a way that seeks to, to know you more and more. And Lord, most importantly, help us never lose the wonder of the gospel. God, astonish us this week with the wonder of the good news of your gospel. Remind us uh, by your spirit 
that we are yours, that we belong to you, that we press forward because you have, you have taken hold of us. Help us to live from that place of wonder. Help us to live from the overflow of the good news of God's saving grace. So Lord, equip us with every good work this week. Help us to do your will. Help us to shine as lights in this world. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, may your spirit empower us in a fresh way today. Send us out in the power of the spirit, Lord. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit today, we pray to do your great works. And we give you praise and glory. And all set together, amen? Amen. God bless you, friends. God bless you.